0: As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open them up to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. So this past Monday through Wednesday, I got to spend some time at the seminary campus over in Fort Worth. We were opening a new building there where students will, young men and young women, will prepare their hearts and their minds for ministry, hopefully for decades to come. And there's one thing that I I believe, I, I think if you or your child, or your grandchild, is called to full-time ministry, if at all possible, uh, you need to prepare yourself, you need to study, and go to seminary or something, university, and study formally in the area of theology. After all, uh, you wouldn't let someone do heart surgery on you just because They enjoy television shows about hospitals and they never hit the sides whenever they play that little game operation. You would want your doctor, your heart surgeon, to do some preparation. The same thing is true when it comes to matters of the heart. Uh, You need to study. You need to prepare yourself. But one of the things that happens in a seminary environment is sometimes you will spend countless hours debating questions that in reality, nobody really cares that much about. We call those seminary questions, those theological questions that nobody really cares that much about, but in seminary, they're absolutely fascinating. And in Luke chapter 13 and verse 22, Jesus runs into a situation where he is asked a seminary question. If you'll look with me there, the Bible says he went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Now understand that he is headed to the cross. He has an appointment with Calvary, but in verse 23, someone asked him, Are there few, Lord, someone asked him, are there few being saved? Now, what was happening is that in the rabbinical schools and in their conversations, they had this question, would everyone be saved just because they are Abraham's descendants, or would only a few be saved, would only a few be allowed into the kingdom? In fact, in their mind, it was the ones who really followed the law, the ones who were perhaps Pharisees or part of that belief system, and so that was something that they were debating. Now, the real question that you should be asking is this, have I been saved? Have I been saved? Has there ever been a time in my life where I understood that I personally am a sinner? That I have turned to my own way away from God? That I have done things that I should not? But the Lord Jesus Christ lived a life that I could never live, died on the cross for my sins, and he calls me to repent of my sins and place my faith in him. Have I? Ever been saved. Last night in our household, it was a big moment because my eight-year-old daughter McKenna came to know Christ as her Lord and Savior last night in our household. So I'm I'm just beaming a little bit about that. Uh, And there's a second question that we should be asking Am I telling others how to be saved? Am I sharing the gospel? Now you need to understand that you can't save anyone, only God can save people, but you can tell people how to be saved, and you can trust the Holy Spirit to work on their heart and to draw them to the gospel, and I believe that every single week there are opportunities out there to share the gospel. Frequently what happens is we just miss them. There's people that engage in conversation with you. People that open those doors. And there's that moment where, where you could share your faith and you could share the gospel. And you never know what God might do when you share the gospel. And you need to be praying. Praying for people that you know that, that are not believers. So, Jesus has asked this question, are there a few being saved? Well, at this point, he begins to tighten his shoulder pads, and he tackles this question. He says in verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. Whenever Stacy and I first started dating, we were about two, two months into our dating relationship, and it was going well. And I began to realize something, that there was a little a window of time that I was in. And if I progressed in this relationship, I was going to fall in love. I realized that this was my moment. If I don't want to fall in love, I better run right now. This was my window where I still could go the other direction. And so I remember that time. Well, you say, well, what did you do, Lash? (laughs) Okay, think about it just a little bit, okay? If you look back in your life, there are often moments where God opens a door. And that's what was happening now in Israel. God had sent Jesus to Israel, born in Bethlehem, spent His ministry there In Israel, the door was open. The Messiah was right there in front of them. Jesus was teaching. This was their moment. This was their opportunity to trust in Him, to believe. But there was a problem. You see, Jesus is a narrow door. Jesus was very specific about how someone can be saved. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, is that narrow? Absolutely. I prefer to use the term precise or specific. You see, if you look at the major religions of the world, there's a couple things that they have in common. Uh, One... They wind up being works-based. You have to be good enough. And if you do the right things, then perhaps you will achieve nirvana or you will achieve godhood yourself. But there's always a behavior code that you must follow to have any hope of achieving that. But also the major religions of the world, if you break them down, they all basically say, you need to believe in this set of teachings, Here is a set of teachings, and you need to believe in this set of teachings. And if you will obey them, then you will be saved. Christianity differs, though, in that it says you need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Do we have a set of teachings in the Word of God? Absolutely, but ultimately the call is not just to believe the Bible, the call is to believe in Jesus Christ, to trust Him as our Savior, and to trust Him as our Lord. And Jesus said, I am the way. If you want to know God, you must know me. If you want to have forgiveness, if you want to experience the grace of God unto salvation, you must come to faith in me now, often people will reject Jesus because he 's too narrow, too specific, and so they 'll throw up a couple of common objections that I hear often. one of those is the sincerity sincerity objection it goes like this there 's a lot of sincerely religious people, good people, moral people, but they don't believe in Jesus. So shouldn't their sincerity count? Well, it's it's good to be sincere. I think that sincerity is something that needs to be a part of who we are, a part of our integrity. But when your sincerity is placed in the wrong thing, you can be sincerely wrong. For example, I sincerely believed that the Cowboys were going to beat the Green Bay Packers. I I sincerely believed it all the way up until the last moment of the game, but I was wrong. I sincerely believe that none of you would want to see me in a dump tank, that none of y'all, none of your children, none of your grandchildren would want to see me get wet and go under those waters, but I think that I am sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely wrong, and your sincerity does you little good whenever it is misplaced. Secondly, people will object to Jesus because they say grace isn't fair. So here's how this argument goes. They'll say, why should this really, really bad guy over here be able to be saved? He's done things that he shouldn't do. Why should he have any hope of heaven? And you have this guy over here who's never committed any major crimes. He's loved his family. He's been a good guy. Why should this nice guy who doesn't believe not go to heaven? Well, uh, you are right. Grace isn't fair. In fact, that's the whole point of grace. You don't want fairness when it comes to God. You want grace. You see, in the human mind, uh, we think to ourselves, well, I'm, I'm a good person who sometimes does bad things. And I overcome these bad things by doing more good things than I do bad. And so in our human mind, we kind of have these scales of justice. And yes, I do some bad things, but if I do enough good things, then Those will outweigh the bad things, and then I'll be be okay. But God's standard in Scripture is absolute holiness. The standard of God is not that you do pretty good. The standard of God is not that you do more good than bad. The standard of God is absolute perfection, absolute holiness holiness, and when it comes to that standard, there is a reality that we all fall short. And because we fall short of the standard of holiness, then we all are sinners and we're all in need of forgiveness. So let me package it this way. If there is a God, and if God can be known, and you can have forgiveness and eternal life. If all these things are out there, if God is out there and God can be known and there is such thing as forgiveness and there is such thing as heaven, wouldn't it be great if God told you exactly how you can find it? Wouldn't it be great if God didn't beat around the bush and kind of say, well, you know, this may be the way or this may be the way. You just be sincere in something and just figure it out your own self. Wouldn't it be great if God said, okay, you don't have to guess. This is how you can be saved. This is how you can know. Well, he did. That's that's. The whole point of Jesus' message. I mean, I am the way. If you want to know God, if you want to be saved, believe in me. He makes himself available to all. I, I am the way. Just believe in me and you can be saved. It's narrow, but it's truth. Well, he continues in verse 25. Look with me there in Luke 13. He says, once the homeowner gets up, And shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. You see, Jesus is using the illustration of a banquet and the door is open and you try to enter the banquet hall, but then he says, One day the door will be closed. The day is coming. When the door shuts and once the door shuts, it's too late. You say, Well, Pastor, when when will the door shut? Well, when you die, the door will shut. I know we don't like to think about that too much, but for every one of us in the room that that day will very likely happen that you will die. You say, Lash, why did you say very likely? Well, there's another way the door could be shut, and that is that Christ could come again. Christ could come again, and we could experience the end of the world, and that's a big part of the gospel. When you begin to understand the gospel, don't end the story with, and then he died. Or don't end the story with, and then he rose again. Or don't end the story with, and then he told the church to go out and share the gospel. You need to end the story with, and the Lord came back. And evil was purged from the creation so that we are able to live in perfect harmony with our God for the glory of God. The second coming is a moment when the door shuts. And then there's also a moment that I see, and that is when the heart grows hard. Just an observation over the years, I'll see people come into these doors and God will begin to stir their heart and you can tell that God is at work in their life and there's a moment where they know that they need to be saved they know they're not a believer and God puts on his tool belt and he starts going to work and they see the truth and they hear the truth but then there's a rejection and we've all seen it you encounter people whose heart has just grown hard. And once the heart grows hard, it almost doesn't matter what you say. They just refuse to believe. They push away. No, I'm not going to hear it. I don't believe. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in that stuff. and It doesn't even seem to penetrate. But now there's a truth here. And that is that as long as you're here, you're not beyond the reach of grace. Because even though the heart may grow hard, God can still soften the heart. And as long as you're alive and you're here, the door is open and you can walk through and you can experience salvation. Now, there's a caffeinated reality that we also need to deal with. And that is that a lot of people that say they know Christ really don't. There's a lot of people that say that they know Christ, but they really don't. Look at verse 26. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you workers of unrighteousness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. Now, let me translate this into our times. Some will say, We went to the Texas barbecue. We sold pumpkins in the pumpkin patch. We went on mission trips. My granddaddy was a pastor. My daddy was a deacon. I was raised in church. But he will say to you on that day, I don't know you or where you're from. You see, you need to realize that it is possible for you to be in church, but not be in Christ. It's possible for you to say the right things and do the right things. But in your heart, in your soul, you've never believed. You like the church, you like your friendships, enjoy being here, but you've never really believed in Christ. Now, my goal today is not to get you to doubt your salvation. It's not my goal to make you doubt your salvation. But I want you to understand this. If your faith is not truly in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if your belief is not in Him, trusting Him totally as your Savior, you are not saved. We are called to believe in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus is your savior not your spouse not your family not your parents and their faith not your life group not your church salvation is personal you personally must trust in Christ turning from your sin turning to your Savior, placing your faith in Him as Savior and Lord. And so I do have a fear. I have a fear that there may be many who sit in these seats, people that I love dearly, people that I know well, but truth be told, do not know the Savior, have never truly, had that moment of salvation. You see, Israel was a bit smug at this point. They thought because they were children of Abraham that they knew the truth and had the truth. Abraham, Jacob, all the patriarchs that are mentioned in the passage, These, this is our family, this is our lineage, and because of that, we have the truth. And We go to synagogue, and so they thought to themselves, we're saved. When the kingdom of God comes, when the Messiah comes, we'll all all be with them. But the reality was, is that many weren't. And sadly, eventually the door shut for many. Jesus goes on to say in verse 29, He says, They will come from the east and west from the north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Note this, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. You see, when God shuts one door, He often opens another. And as you'll see in this passage and then in next week's passage, you see that Jesus' own countrymen rejected him, but God began to do a work. God began to do a work that went beyond Israel, and Gentiles became believers. And Gentiles came from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and these people were far away from God. They hadn't grown up with The truth of the Old Testament. They hadn't grown up going to synagogue. They hadn't grown up believing that they were God's people. They were far away from God. But they believed in Christ. And they reclined at the table in the kingdom of God. They didn't pretend to have all the answers. They weren't raised in church. They weren't descendants of Abraham. But they belonged to God. By many, they were viewed as the last, the outcast, the lowest of the low. But in the kingdom of God, they were first. And those who were haughty, those who were prideful, the first became the last. When I was a student minister back in the early 90s, There was an illustration that we used to use in student ministry. It became pretty popular. A lot of us would use it to try to motivate the students towards good behavior. We would take a rose and we would hold it up in front of the class and we would talk about how beautiful it was. And we would pass it around the class and we would tell them, okay, every single one of you, handle that rose and smell it and bend it, feel if it's bendy, you know, feel the petals in your hands and... As they would pass the rose around the class, we would talk about how important it was to be pure and how important it was to come to church and to read your Bible and to do the right things. And when the rose would come back to you as the teacher, it didn't look the same way it did whenever you began the journey. It was then falling apart. The petals were ruffled. And so we would hold the rose up to the class and we would say, who, who would want this rose? Is this what you want to give to God? Is this what you want to give to the person that you love the most? Who wants this rose? We thought it was a great illustration because it sounded good. And you know what? It meant well. But there's a reality here that the truth is God wants the rose. You see, we are all messed up. We've all done things that we shouldn't. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But the point of the gospel is that God wants the rose. Out of His love for you and me, He sent His Son to live a life that we could never live. To die on the cross for our sins. To overcome death so that all who believe in Him may be saved. God wants the rose. You've messed up. You've done wrong. You have pretended for too long. You've tried to do it your own way. It's not working. And you have the scars to prove it. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. Believe in me, and I'll give you rest. Have you ever been saved? Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? Is this your moment of salvation? Where you truly trust in Christ as Savior and Lord? If it is right where you are with your head bowed, I want to encourage you to call out to God. There's no magic formula. This is about your heart calling out to God, believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Right where you are. You may call out to Him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. This morning in this church, I am trusting in Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my Lord. This is my moment of belief. This is my day of salvation. I want to be saved, Lord. Please forgive me. Change me. And grow me. Pray that prayer in the name of Jesus heads are still bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call you out, but if this was your moment, would you just raise your hand right where you are? If this was your moment of salvation today, would you just raise your hand? I realize sometimes God goes to work on our heart, so maybe in the coming days, in the coming minutes, we can talk more. I'll be here at the front. and I would love to pray with you, talk with you after the service during this next song. Because every single person in this room needs to answer that question. Have I been saved? Have I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have not left us guessing. That You have told us exactly how we can be saved. And we pray, Father, that while the door is open that we will enter. We pray, Father, that we might also tell others about how they may enter. And we pray, Father, that you will give us the opportunity of seeing lives changed. May we become addicted to the gospel, addicted to the life change that occurs. When the Holy Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. And I thank you that the story of Christianity is a story of your grace coming near so that we can be forgiven for your glory. And I pray, Lord, that we might be a church that not only believes the gospel but lives out the gospel. May it be very, very evident in each of our lives, that we believe. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.